Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Griefsters. I hope you're having an okay week wherever you are listening. This is the last episode of this series. I'll be back in the autumn with more episodes. Um, Thank you so much for all your amazing comments on this series and the show so far. I I know I say it all the time, but yeah, it's it's very... I'm just glad this show is useful. So thank you if you've been in touch to say how much it's helped. I really appreciate it. And I know I have said it on other episodes, but I'm probably going to be saying it quite a lot until January. My book... You Are Not Alone, as I say on the end of every episode, is out in January and you can pre-order it now. Uh, I know lots of people bang on about pre-orders, that's because it makes a huge difference to authors. It counts as the first week of sales and can really, 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 really help. So if you've enjoyed the series at any point or found it useful or helpful, I would be so grateful if you did a pre-order. You can pre-order it from any good bookshop, wherever you like doing your book shopping. And I have tweeted and Instagrammed a link as well. But if you search for You Are Not Alone by Carrie Lloyd, you should be able to do it there. And if you've done it already, thank you so much. This week, I'm talking to the very brilliant stand-up comedian, Ed Byrne. Ed is such a funny person. I have watched him do stand-up for so many years. You would have seen him on Mock the Week and Comic Relief and all sorts of things that he has done. He's been a fixture of the comedy scene for a very long time. He's an incredibly funny man. Ed came to talk to me um, about his brother, Paul. And as you will hear quite quickly uh, in this episode, his brother had died very recently. I think it was about three months after we spoke. So I just want to heads up, listeners, this is a very fresh, raw conversation about some very early grief. And I felt really privileged that Ed had chosen to talk to me about it. So here is Ed talking about his brother, Paul. Ed, who are we remembering today? Today we're remembering uh, my little brother, Paul. Paul. Yeah. And when did Paul die? Or um, pass away, if you prefer. He died. It's fair. Um, <laughs> it's, it, no, it's pretty recent. It's, uh, he'd, yeah. um, it's We're recording this um, 9th of May, so we're not even th- three months. It'll be three months on Wednesday. He, he died on the 11th of February. So I'm That's st- very I'm, recent. I'm still in it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as we say on the show at the time, like, you know, we're all still in it, but you are really at the centre of, like, the grief bomb blast. Mm-hmm. Like, it's right there. Yeah, gosh, that is, is really early. How are you feeling today? Let's it's start It's pretty there. good today, actually. <laughs> good no, today. No, pretty good, good today. And funnily enough, it's it's not it's not been a great week. Um, mm. uh, Wednesday and 
Friday of, of, of last week were rough. Mm. Um, and, but it's, it's interesting. Uh, I seem to be able to, for the most part, um, control when I deal with the grief. And mm. I, I, I was talking to a friend of mine, you know, obviously he's spent a lot of time talking to friends of mine about this. And a friend of mine said, have you considered, just because his wife's a therapist, so he's quite into it, he said, have you considered any kind of therapy? And I went, you know what? I don't think a therapist would tell me to do anything different to what I'm doing. I think the way I'm mm. dealing with it is actually really healthy in that I, I, I'm aware that it's bubbling away sometimes and I can feel like a need to almost like like putting your fingers down your throat when you need to be sick or squeezing, <laughs> squeezing a spot yeah. or something like yeah, that. Yeah. I can feel when it's weighing on me and I need to just bring it on. And, and I can do it. And it, with, music is a massive part of how... So I don't sit and stare at photographs or anything like that. I can just play a song. There's a, as a, there are certain songs where I can just stick them on and I will just cry my eyes out. Yeah. And whenever I feel like I need to do that, I can just do that. I think, I mean, firstly, I think you're being really brave in talking about it this early. I really do. And I know that when we initially even spoke about it, I was like, are you sure? <laughs> like, This is early. I want to make sure you're okay. But I do think it's really helpful mm. for people to hear how it feels at the beginning. And I read years ago, I mean, therapists tell me if I'm wrong, that they actually don't recommend you have any bereavement counselling um, I think it's like six to 12 weeks. I read like at least because your body's in shock. Sure. And so like actually there's no point having, because you're just kind of in the shock bit. And actually yeah. you do need a bit of time to process personally before you're like, okay, now I could sit down with someone. So yeah, I think if you're in the place now where you, like you said, are aware of it and you can cry when you need to and you're not mm. feeling like, oh, I can't even exist in day-to-day -day life. I think that, yeah, that's the, the best you can hope for. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you mind me asking, like, so how much younger was Paul than he you? He was five years younger than me. So, yes. Five years he was, younger. He was 44. Um, and uh, it's interesting. Uh, for some reason, everybody said he was 45. He got, I, I tweeted about him. And then I think once that tweet reached a certain level of numbers, it, it just automatically, any tweet that gets a certain amount of retweets becomes a news story. So yeah, suddenly... Yeah newspapers picked up i mean even though he was in you know he, he you know chortle wrote about him because you know he did he directed a lot of stand-up comedy and mm. he worked in the business so he was worthy of of you know of his death being you know written about and, and being noted mm. in, the, in the in the industry he made the in memoriam section of the bafta craft awards um a, a, a few weeks ago things like that you know but the tabloids picked up on it once the tweet had reached certain amount of numbers and they yeah, all said yeah. that he was 45. And it was <laughs> just one of those ones of like, he would find that in its own, on its own quite amusing that, <laughs> that, that they couldn't get his... There was, a, there was one guy, there's some, I don't even know who it is, somebody, somebody showed it to me. Some dude who just does a roundup of celebrity deaths from that week and... Wow. And... And just has photographs of it. And right from, again, I say celebrity, like anybody in the industry, costumers, designers, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And he said, Paul Byrne died at 45 of lymphoma, which isn't what killed him. And there was a photograph of him. There was one photograph of him and then three photographs of me. <laughs> <laughs> Ow, yeah. no, come on. Get your photos straight. Yeah, which again, he would have found hilarious. <laughs> that has been wow. the interesting thing about this. There's been a lot of laughter. There's been a lot of yeah. comedy surrounding the whole thing. Not least when we were planning his funeral, a very good friend of his, Tim Fitzhaim, um, who Paul had worked with extensively on Tim's one-man shows and on his radio show, The Gambler, he produced that. He phoned... And we were, as I say, we were planning the funeral, we were talking about what music we're playing, all that kind of stuff. And Tim said, look, I wasn't sure if I wanted to, if I was going to tell you this, but I thought you should know that Paul told me that when he died, he wanted to be cremated, which we were doing, and he wanted to roll into the, into the flames to Disco Inferno. And he said, I don't know what you want to do with that. I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> 
So we did honour that wish. And it, you know. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. Well, yeah, it's interesting you say because I um I was very aware when he died because as a comedian, sort of comedian, I you know follow people on social media and I saw this explosion of a person I didn't meet Paul, mm-hmm. but so many people I knew were posting pictures of him and these huge huge tributes about what an amazing person he was and the energy and the funniness of him. And I was, I was, yeah, it was interesting to be so aware of somebody, as you said, in our industry, which is, mm. is quite small. Most people yeah. do know, know everyone or know at least one person removed. And there was so much talk of how funny he was. And I think we've had this a lot on the show, like just because someone's died, they don't stop being amusing. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't, you, if you, when they were alive, you smiled when you thought of them or every story was like, oh, they did this. It was really funny. It, it doesn't just change because some something really sad has happened, something no. tragic has happened. So yeah, Disco Inferno is a good yeah. call. There was a did lot. Did get a big laugh? It did, yeah. And there, there was a lot of. I mean, my my sister made a, a very funny speech about you know the the you know Paul's life and things. And you know, I I said just a couple of words, and there was enough. I I'm all, I'm already regretting. There's so me, there's so much regret is always built in when somebody dies, and so mm. I'm regretting stuff I didn't say at the funeral. Like <laughs> there was yeah, there was yeah, jokes yeah. I wish I told, but I wasn't in the mood. <laughs> My sister did a whole thing about remembering with, on the on the serious part of her speech. She did a whole thing about how she was. She had a conversation with him about how she wanted to buy a really cool car, like a Morris Minor or a, a you know a, a, a Ford Anglia or something like that. And 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 Paul had said to her, "No, you don't want to buy a cool car because you're already cool, and you should just <laughs> get the most ordinary car in the world, a Ford Monday or something like that." And it will be cool because it will be your car, which is really nice. And then I got up later on to, to introduce a song, and I so regret not saying, what a beautiful speech there by Patricia. Although it does make me reflect on how often Paul would tell me I should buy a really cool car. <laughs> now, that would have killed. <laughs> and I so oh, it regret. Killed. It would have that been, brought that the house yeah, down. Bought, bought the church down. Yeah, mm. definitely. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So is there... Is there three of you? Your sister as well? Is that? Yeah, and, and my older brother as well. My older and brother, brother as well. Yeah. Okay. And do you mind me asking what no. what Paul did die of? Um, well, happened? so liver failure. Eleven mm. years ago, eleven twelve years. He just partied hard a long mm. time ago, and I, to my mind, no more than anybody else. Mm. It was like well, he wasn't like some you know hopeless alcoholic sitting at home bottle of whiskey a day kind of thing you know and i and you this is the annoying thing you know people who drink a bottle of whiskey a day yeah before <laughs> fine. And, and, and are fine he yeah. just partied hard and you know it was at the edinburgh fringe like 11 12 years ago he put himself in hospital with it just just being just by being at edinburgh you know what i mean just yeah, by being yeah. at the fringe and up late and all that and and they said oh you've no you've broken this mate um you can't drink anymore, and then that was it. And he didn't. He didn't drink anymore. And then three years later, he got Hodgkin's lymphoma, and they even said to him, "Oh, just as well you stopped drinking because your liver has regenerated enough that we can hit you with some quite heavy duty chemo." Wow. And and they did that, but that then put another hurting on his liver. Yeah. And then in the in January of of, of twenty twenty one having been trying to keep a long distance relationship going under lockdown he got dumped and it was right when we were locked down and the, yeah, the industry really yeah the industry was in tatters the, the, the fringe had been cancelled so i mean that was always his main work mm. was you know working with people and, and getting their fringe shows up and running and stuff like that and that was gone so plus you know he living on his own so he just he, he went he went on a vendor and and he didn't he didn't it's not like he went back on the booze long term he just I, I don't know exactly how long but he, he had a few weeks of you know of, of getting over that and it and it just broke it again but then it was uh, it, it was one of those ones where you, you can't really blame anybody there's so many mm. but there, 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 he was one of those what makes this whole thing quite difficult is that it was a genuine it, it was a quite a preventable death yeah, if, yeah, and I think the problem was he just always thought everything will be fine. I'll be yeah. fine. Is that the word? Like he wasn't well, and people are saying, "Oh, maybe you should go to the hospital. Maybe you should go to the doctor." And he's like, "They'll just give out to me for the fact that I drank when I yeah. shouldn't have drank." 
And then when he realised, no, maybe I'm, you, maybe I should, then he couldn't get an appointment at the GP, like probably because of COVID, and he just, he, he, like he was phoning them up and phoning them up, and he couldn't get, he couldn't even get them on the phone, so he went down to the doctors, and knocked on the door, and the receptionist goes, we don't give out appointments in person, we, oh, you have to phone, and he's like, but you don't answer the phone, and she goes, well, I can't answer the phone while you're standing talking to me at the door. So he sat on the doorstep and phoned the GP and he phoned 27 times oh before she picked up the phone and gave him an appointment. You know, and even then it had to be an over the phone appointment. And, and there's, oh, and when he described his symptoms of, oh, right, you're sick. You know, it, and then everything just took ages, every appointment, everything. And it just, he just ran out of road. So that was kind of how it went, and that's that's what's really hard. And there's so because there's so many people to blame. You, there's so many people that you can to hold responsible. Ultimately, he is he is the one who has to bear the most responsibility. But I think mm. he just again he just thought well the safety net was there, you know, that would catch him. I liken it a bit to I don't. Sometimes I leave shit on a plane. I leave an iPad or a PSP or some or phone. And then I realised as soon as I get off the plane, and then I can't get back on the plane, and you're phoning people and they're like, oh no, we haven't found it. Because, no, it was in the pocket of this seat. No, it's not there now. Well, you fucking stolen it then. <laughs> and it, you know, and it's like, I've had shit like that just go. And yes, yeah. it's my fault I left it on the plane, but now yeah. it's somebody else's fault that it's gone. <laughs> and it felt a bit like that. Okay, so he shouldn't have drunk. He knew his liver whatever, but he just, that, that safety should also have been there for him. And then it's, every, it's everything. Then it's it's, it's the people who drank with them. You feel yeah. a certain response. You feel a certain anger towards them. It's the fucking flatmate who came home with COVID. This is he had an appointment with the liver specialists, twenty third of December, and his flatmate came home with COVID and didn't isolate in his room, and Paul got COVID, oh. so the appointment got moved to January twenty seventh, and in that that month and that was his chance, and in that month. So he was dead by February 11th. So, you know, that, th- so there's all these points where of intervention and of, of, of just of prevention where you thought, if, if only this had happened, only that happened. I mean, it, you know, when your liver is fucked and you need, to be tra- you need a transplant, there's a lot of stuff has got to go right mm. in order for a good outcome. But when you can pinpoint various points where it went wrong, it's very hard not to get angry at those, you know. Yeah, of course, of course. Mm. That's really hard. That's really hard. Mm. Because there's a lot of stuff, and and I think especially, like we've said, this is really recent stuff. And as you walk away from a death in time, you know, you can let things go easier or you can see things in a bigger picture. But when you're right in the centre of it, it's it's really raw and it's really painful. And I, I think that's awful. That's really awful that he didn't, like you said, that net just wasn't there again and again and again and all mm. those things. And and it's very, you know, like you said, like of its time, that moment in time when mm-hmm. that was that awful lockdown and we were all isolated and things yeah. like this were slipping through the cracks. And, and at every point, you know, you can understand a, you know, receptionist who's afraid of COVID, who's having a thousand calls a day, you can understand, mm-hmm. but the consequence... Of an underfunded NHS and well, uh, uh, you know exactly. stuff like that Precisely. is somebody su- yeah. suffering like the way Paul did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, it, it's absolutely and and again, also that, also the the, the political element of the, of, of, mm. of funding and stuff. There's, there's so many different ways and areas in which you can direct your your anger and your resentment. And yeah. uh, I've 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 been pretty happy to just scatter gun it. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm yeah. not surprised. Like <clears throat> anger is such a big part of grief anyway. Yeah. You know, someone can just die peacefully in their home and you mm-hmm. can feel very angry about it. Mm-hmm. And like when it is a death like this where there's these complications, it affects your grief because it's infuriating that people die. Like that's an infuriating thing mm-hmm. that bodies pack up. It, yeah. it it's maddening. Yeah. <laughs> that people you love can do that. And then when there are these really literal things you can pinpoint and go, if that hadn't, if this hadn't, like that, of course you're furious. That is such a huge, a huge part of it. And I think that's going to be, you know, something you have to work through and carry with you and all of that stuff, which it, it doesn't make the grief any easier because that, 
you know, sometimes people are furious and like there isn't anything to pin it on. <laughs> you yeah. know, they're like, oh, they got cancer and they died. Like that happens. Yeah. That happens. But you do have really specific things you can pin it on, and that's yeah. that's really hard. Yeah, that's yeah. really hard. And I am so I've done bits about this. I've I've done material about how I I have a tendency to focus on things I wish I'd said and mm. arguments I've had and how I wish they'd gone and stuff like that. So I yeah, keep yeah. I do have you know fantasies about interventions and and all that kind of thing. And then what makes it also f- further complicates things is that me and Paul had a massive fallout about eighteen months before he died. And didn't speak for about a year. So, so I have that because I have the fact that because I wasn't there for him mm. in, during the breakup because we were still angry at each other. That won't have helped. And even though we did absolutely reconcile, there's that w- huge amount of wasted time of time that I didn't, didn't spend with him, didn't, didn't talk to him. In that in that last 18 months but even if we were getting on we wouldn't have spoken that often anyway so, you know. so there's all that you know is um, is going on I think what you're describing is just will be so recognisable to so many people like the absolute levels of grief and it's really making me remember like when you are so fr- you know so close to it and all that happens is as you walk you know I'm 20 plus years now yeah of my dad dying everything just blurs and a little bit gets a bit faded Mm. as all memories do but when you're right in the center of it all those different complications are so painful are so painful and that is that is a a lot to carry ed yeah i mean a lot to carry it's weird like my older brother and i are really tight you know we're really um and we do stuff together you know and we we you know anytime i'm in glasgow i'll always stay at his place and anytime i'm passing through there and we have a very close relationship and i see him more often than i would have would have seen paul yes it's weird i'm just thinking about this if Stephen dropped dead tomorrow i it would it w- i would just be sad it would it, w- yeah. it would in a way yeah. it would be easier because our relationship is so less complicated. Yeah. There wouldn't be yeah. any regrets over things unsaid or things said. Mm. And that's a, I find that a, a very interesting thing. That just are, are the, even though I say it's somebody I'm closer to. Yeah. But but they're lost. The, the, the lack of complication in the, in the relationship would actually I think ultimately make it easier to take. Yeah. No, I th- I completely understand what you're saying. I think you know grief is really layered and the more complicated relationship you have with that person the more layers they are like that that's yeah. just how it yeah. is and then i think my experience and obviously this is my experience as somebody who does a podcast i'm not an expert <laughs> is um you know like you said when the relationship is simple there's a huge amount of sadness to get through but once you get through that and you find grief you can kind of you know, you never work through it. It's not linear. It's not how it works. But it's a simpler process, mm. you know, because you go, well, they knew I loved them. I love that, you know, and I'm very sad they're gone. That's really what we're dealing with. Mm. And when there's, like you said, things unsaid and things not said or arguments and stuff, it's it takes longer, I suppose, to get to the kind of the simple grief, if that makes sense, because mm. you're dealing with all this other stuff. Like you said, all these, the medical stuff, the extreme bizarreness of being in a pandemic and having an argument like there's a lot of things before you can get to oh I'm just sad that they went Mm. like like the bit where you're just like gosh that's a sad thing that happened and yeah that is a lot and I mean you know maybe in the future (laughs) therapy counseling someone to like help you unpick those things because that's what I mean not to compare like I I had quite a complicated relationship with my dad and it took me years to get to therapy years like Mm -hmm. 15 years um but when i did it really helped me go oh a lot of what i've been doing circles about in my head isn't really grief it's like what we didn't sort out between us before he went yeah and then once i was able to talk you know have this worked for me have a therapist who just like helped me unpick it all and so i could go oh i see that was the mess and it wasn't really anyone's fault but here's my responsibility here's his responsibility then I could almost like get to the grief and be mm. like, oh, here's just being sad about that person not being there. But it, it really does add did you, did you, more shit. When your dad died, did you know he was dying? Did you have a time yeah, where so it was he, like... Yeah, so 
he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, yeah. but he was dead very quickly. So he was diagnosed in February, dead by the April. Right. So, and I was 15. So yeah. I didn't, you know, I felt like I didn't have okay. the time or the sort of emotional intellect to be like, hey, we should have a conversation about these things. And he acted like he wasn't dying. Right. So okay. it was right. like, yeah. Yeah. you know, teenager meets denial is like a really powerful combination. <clears throat> um, and like my brother's older. And so they had had like, a, they'd, my brother was 19 so they'd kind of got to that point where they, they'd had a few mm. adult chats of like okay as adults this is why I did this I'm sorry about this whereas we were still in the like fighting stage because I was 15 yeah. so yeah there wasn't a lot of time to kind of deal with that stuff and I think when you've got so much to unpick it's it's just really it's just really hard and it just adds so much to it the fact that he had been ill, you know, so you knew he was ill 11 years ago, yeah. but like you said, to me, it still sounds like it went very quickly from being, oh, okay, you know, he's not very well again, but, and that, and that's also, I think we don't give enough space for shock. Like just mm. the shock that someone you thought was, oh, not that well yeah. is dead. Like yeah. that can happen so quickly. And it sounds like it did happen, like actually very yeah. fast. Well, I mean, he got, he, he went into hospital in November you know, things looked bad then, but that, that was when it was absolutely confirmed that he needed a, a transplant. And uh, I was still very hopeful then, and so was he. Yeah, yeah. And my family kind of had him written off, because when he first went in, he was quite sick, and I didn't see him when he first went in, but I saw him like a day or two after that. Mm. And everybody was like, had him done and dusted, and I was like, I wouldn't... And, I, and that's the annoying thing, had he not got COVID, I, I think he, he, yeah. he, he could well have gotten, gotten past it. So I, I even said to my mother, I said, I promise you, all four of us will dance on your grave. <laughs> and I, I'm, yeah, I just couldn't make good on that promise. But I, I, that was the last time I saw him was in that period. That was the last time. I, yeah. I, I spoke to him on the phone since then. But, I mean, I really, I'm really glad I got that time of just hanging out with yeah. him in that hospital then, you know. And then it's, it's very gratifying talking to mutual friends and people, people very, his very close friends, people like, the comedians like John Hastings and that, you know, who, Milo uh, McCabe, Larry Dean, who talking about how happy he was that he and I had had reconciled. Mm. So, it, you know, it was good that we, we had, had that. So, I mean, my overall, you know, sort of how we left it and everything is, 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 is very positive. Yeah, and that's really important. And that will be that will be a really helpful thing with this process of grief mm -hmm. because there are people who don't get it. You know, they don't. Like, there's people who suddenly, you know, heart attacks, hit by a car, yeah. don't get that chance. So I think that is a really amazing thing that you and him were able to find each other again and, and reconcile and and have that regret. You know, it's important to have that regret. That's how we learn and that's how we grow as people to be, you know, okay, we shouldn't have done that. That was a waste of time, yeah. but here we are again. Yeah. There is some serious drilling going on now. I'm really sorry. <laughs> God. Um, and now what's yeah. funny is, like, I say I'm in it. But it's like, you know that when you get dumped or when your heart is broken and every song on the radio seems to be a, a broken heart song and that it's like that, that trope. There are dead brothers everywhere in the media. Everything I'm watching and enjoying, you know, yeah. the last series of Ozark, it was just, <laughs> it was just all revolved around the dead brother. And... <laughs> You know, I was watching uh, Peacemaker, an absolute riot laugh action show. Turns out by episode three, there's a dead brother involved. Uh, Reacher, that uh, you find at end of episode one, I think. Oh, dead brother. You know, it's just it's they're everywhere. And then here, okay, here's an amazing one. So Pearl Jam are a big, were a big thing in me and Paul's life. We we've been to see them together live. We, the last. The, the photograph I put on Twitter of uh, when Paul died it was me, Glenn, Wool, and, and Paul coming back from Pearl Jam in, in Amsterdam on, on the ferry. So they were just, it was something that we very much shared. And Eddie Vedder's solo album came out the day Paul died. And there's a song on it called Brother the Cloud, the opening line of which is, I had a brother, now my brother is gone. About Eddie Vedder's brother who died in a climbing accident two years ago. Oh my god! I don't believe in yeah. a higher power or any of that, but that's some heavy duty coincidence wow. there. Wow, 
Are you able to listen to that song? Yeah, at all? <laughs> I, do, I do, and it's, uh, it's um, yeah, I, and uh, that is that is as I say, it's my that is my method um, for really just bringing out any grief when I feel the need for it is listening to uh, is, is listening to certain songs, and that's not even it's weirdly enough that's not one of the songs that'll do it for me. It's it's it 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 did make me sad the first time I heard it, but it made me sad more because it's a good album and he would have really liked it and he didn't get to hear it. You know <laughs> yeah. that's. I know those like double-edged swords, isn't it? Where you're like, oh, it's really painful, but God, they would have really liked this. Yeah, they would have been over the moon about this. And I was so I, annoying. I was just texting my mother last night. Um, Eddie Vedder, the last track of the album is a duet with Elton John, who's one of my wow. mother's favorite artists. Wow. And just the idea of the lead singer of our, one of our favorite bands, my favorite band, one of his favorite band, and one of my mom's favorite singer, he would have fucking loved that, you know. So it's, it's full of that. And I guess, again, because it's all very recent, it's all very new, I keep doing things that are the first thing, first time I've done it yeah. since he's been gone yeah. as well. So they're, And they're funny milestones that hit you in a way that you don't expect. Mm. You know? Here's the dumbest one. Okay, here's one that I haven't told anyone. And I can't believe I'm even telling you because I don't even know you that well. <laughs> and Go for it. I, your, your listeners are complete strangers to me. I went for my first run just before my 50th birthday, for my first run since he was sick. I, um, I used to run a lot and I hadn't been. I listen to music when I run. One of the things that I, that I, that I like to distract myself, because I actually generally find running quite boring, but I, I do it. I do what a lot of people do. I imagine myself as the lead singer of the band I'm listening to. <laughs> Particularly if it's things like Foo Fighters, stuff like that. It's sure, like, sure. You know, I'm sure I'm not the only person who does yeah. that. I remember David Sedaris talking about this. And I thought he just absolutely... Because not only does he imagine himself singing or playing the saxophone or doing something like that, that he can't do, he imagines his closest friends and family li- listening and going, oh my God, I had no <laughs> idea. I had no idea he was... Able- He's so talented, <laughs> yeah. wow. Which is, I thought that, that, that really spoke to me, that level of detail. <laughs> But I would, I would imagine myself, and not even playing stadiums. I'd imagine myself playing like late and live at the Gilded Balloon or something like that. And again, you know, all the comments, wow, I didn't know Ed could play oh, the guitar. He's really good. Yeah, because in my fantasy, it's, it's absolutely perfect, because I can't, I actually, but um, one of the things that I forgot that I do is oftentimes when I'm fantasizing about being the lead singer stroke lead guitarist of a rock and roll band is I imagine Paul is on the bass because Paul actually played bass he was in a band when he was younger and I just would sometimes imagine him and it was the stupidest thing I found myself doing it while somebody run forgetting that I ever used to do that and Here's the thing. There was there would be a greater chance of Paul coming back to life <laughs> to play bass for me in my band than there is of me ever learning to play the guitar to a to a level where I could perform in front of people. So it's completely done. But the idea that oh oh that's not gonna happen. Like oh this fantasy's ruined now because he's it was ruined by your laziness and lack of talent. Oh my god! So yeah, like <laughs> I just really recognise those moments, those yeah. brief moments where you're like annoyed at something that makes no sense, no sense. And if you took it to anyone, even a therapist, I'd be like, "Did you want to play guitar?" And like, no, it's not. That's not the point. It's just like in my head, it was a thing that we did, and now I now that's ruined. You know, reach is ruined. Oh, yeah. ruined. The run fantasy of my rock band is like, it's just another thing on the fucking list yeah. that gets you. And I completely understand that just because you sort of I know it's such a painful thing when you have something it's so painful. Mm. But at the same time you're sort of an outside version of you, maybe it's a slightly comic brain of thinking, What? What is yeah. wrong? That's what you're bothered about. You're like, Yes it is what I'm oh, bothered about. You didn't see the the, the 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 looks we'd exchange. Just uh, <laughs> yeah, it was meaningful. Yeah. And everyone would come to the gig and go, Oh, they're brothers, so when they play yeah. it's like really magic. There's like a magic communication. There's that point in Freebird where the bass line and the lead guitar really yeah. play off against each other and <laughs> We, we really enjoyed that in our fantasy, in my fantasy. 
That's very sweet. It's very, very sweet. And I think says a lot about... I can tell a lot about you and him by that fantasy. There's a a love to that, which is really, really wonderful. (laughs) Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. The shit things that, and that's the thing, like when you're at the start of it, everything's a first, you know, yeah. everything is. And that does, that pain like numbs eventually because you go through so many of them that they become normal. But there, that first year, and we say that on the show all the time, the first year is rough. It's mm. really rough because you're constantly hit with these, oh, I've mm. never done this before. I've never yeah. done that. And you've got you know, birthdays and anniversaries and Christmas and there's a lot of things to deal with and yeah, you know, I think just don't, not that you are, but you just have to like feel the things that you're feeling and and be okay with them and Mm. just try and go, okay, that, that's how I feel today. I'm crying because of my, my band fantasy is ruined, (laughs) you know, the next day it's something else. It's something yeah. You know, people often talk about shopping as well. Like you you know, something you see a bit of food that they liked in Sainsbury's and you're in pieces and it, it it's the mundaneness that gets you. It often isn't the big things. It often isn't the sort of, you know, you think it's gonna be the grand moments. But mm. actually, like you said, it's someone releasing a new album or yeah, running yeah. along. That just yeah. Well music music is um is a massive part of it. It's 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 hugely wrapped up in it. And a way that it has been an incredible way that I found to feel close to him is um, is uh, he, the, the last time he was here at my house. It was it, it was during restrictions because we sat. I remember we sat in the garden, me, him, and 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 again Glenn Wool, and Paul loved playing music for people. He loved sharing music that you know that you you know and going oh have you heard this and have you heard that and uh, he had this big long Spotify playlist that that, that we that we put on in the garden and there was loads of stuff on it that I'd never heard and loved and and then I realised I we we still have access to his playlist oh, on Spotify wow. yeah. yeah yeah and there's one it's like this one it's like eighteen hours long <laughs> and so it's great and I listen to it when I'm in the you know, on long drives or gardening and things like that. And it is again. It's a double-edged sword. It's, uh, it's, and there's, there's still. I'm still discovering songs on it that maybe I, I just didn't consciously hear them before. And, I, and stuff like where he's introducing me to stuff. And he in that thing up. He would love that. Like mm. he would love that I'm still gone. And I'll, you know, I'll, there'll be a, a song and I'll go, oh, June, Paul, yeah, nice one. And there's some stuff on it that, <laughs> that I already know. And I'm like, oh yes, my cult of personality, my living color. Come on, oh, Paul, June. And then there's other <laughs> stuff that I'm like, oh, I didn't know you liked this band. Oh, this is a conversation we would have had, we could have had, you know. So that and then, but then you can also find yourself pouring over because maybe see some of this stuff would have been stuff that you just put together in the last couple of years, and you start going, you start trying to examine, you start looking for clues as to his state of yeah. mind, you know, as to, and and then maybe you're reading way too much into it, 
you know, it could. You know, sometimes you just like to listen to sad songs, even when you're not yeah. sad. But you know, the fact that I, I, you know, he, I know he went through a breakup, and there's a, you know, there's a bunch of quite sad songs on there as well. So you find yourself pouring over that. But anyway, it does. It absolutely is far more than I don't sit and stare at photographs. I, ju- I just listen to music, and that's my way of feeling like he's there. But it it absolutely comes at a price because yeah. you know after I've been doing it for a bit. I can feel it then start to weigh, and then I get very. Then that's when the anger comes again. It's like, I, it's like that bit in um, you know, the film Misery, yeah. where uh, he's explaining to her that that misery's spirit lives on. You know, when he's when he's killed the character, and oh, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, she's yeah. really annoyed about it, and she's, I don't want her fucking spirit. That I get that anger. You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to just fucking feel like he's here. You know. Yeah. But you have to, you, you can't, because that's the, okay, that's the other annoying thing. The easiest way to deal with it is, at the moment is to just not think about it. Yeah, right? of course, or, of course. Or, or focus on the times he was an arsehole, you know. Yeah. That's, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's actually. That's helpful, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, gives you, it gives you a bit of peace from it, doesn't it? Like, yeah. yeah. That was really annoying, yeah. Yeah, yeah. or just say, you know, like, okay, so I had my 50th and he wasn't there, obviously. And I had to console myself with the fact that he probably would have made a fucking excuse and not been there anyway. You know, there's a very <laughs> high chance he simply wouldn't have made it anyhow. So, so I, you know, and so you, you, you sometimes do that to make yourself feel better. And then it's like, well, that's not really being fair to the guy, is it? You know, I'm just, I'm just pretending he didn't exist or I'm focusing on him yeah. being an arsehole just because I, just because I want to keep my cheeks dry today, you know. But that's, I think that's really important. <clears throat> and I don't know if you heard of it, there's um, a theory which... I only recent like found recently and it's called dual process the dual process model and it's a much more accepted form of grief therapy counseling how our brains work mm. and the idea literally is that you need to oscillate between two states so you have the grief state mm. where you are literally like bawling your eyes out making the weird noises that sound mm. like a goose honking because you're crying so much <laughs> And then there's restoration. And that's like, you're watching crap telly, you're not thinking about them. And it, it genuinely says like the human brain needs to jump and oscillate between these two states. And when you are doing the not thinking about it, part of your brain is processing. Okay, they're gone, mm-hmm. they're gone. But if you constantly stare at it, you can't process it. And if you constantly ignore it, you can't process it. And when I read that, I felt like this weightlifting of like, oh, you're allowed to have a break. Because <laughs> yeah. I think we feel like, oh, it's dishonorable, like or if I you know, think of them badly. And it's like, actually, all of that stuff is your brain trying to process who they were to you, what happened, like how you felt about them, what they, you know, all trying to put all these jigsaw pieces in that you have to do when someone's died. Because, mm. because that living relationship is over and now you've entered a world where you are still alive, they're dead. So the relationship does continue because mm-hmm. you're there. So it, it continues in your head <laughs> and you have to think, oh, actually... They, they did do that and that was unfair and I just, I'm allowed to be annoyed about yeah. that I am allowed that oh I was bad yeah that, that was bad yeah. I shouldn't have done that because you're sort of it's like there's been a full stop in the relationship but it's not the end I think that's important to say it isn't the end because you carry on living and therefore you will carry on thinking different things remembering different things finding out other things Spotify playlists are such a good example of like oh I didn't know I didn't know they liked that song mm. and so you're you know the grief morphs and evolves over time but it's so yeah, when I read that, I was like, oh, because that's actually what most people do. Most mm. people think about it, it gets too much, they have a break. And then yeah. they would come up to me and say, oh, I feel so bad. Like, I'm just watching Netflix like 24 hours a day, <laughs> or I'm just on my phone. I'm not really, oh, I feel so bad, I'm not grieving properly. And I'd be like, I don't, I think you are grieving properly. Yeah. I think we just don't, we just don't treat ourselves with enough kindness sometimes to go, like you said, <clears throat> if you need a day for your cheeks to be dry, yeah, have that day. Yeah, yeah. Because the thing that will also happen is you will have a day when they won't be. <laughs> like yeah, that's, yeah. that's guaranteed. So if you just need a day off, it's totally fine because, or I'd say to people, they'd say, oh, actually, I'm having a good day and I feel guilty. And I'd be like, but you're going to have a bad one. Like, that's going to happen. Hmm. So don't don't feel bad for the good moments where you do think, oh, actually, today I'm okay and it's not weighing on me or it's bearable yeah. today. Yeah. Because the other stuff's coming. It's coming. And you will have to deal with it. So you've ne- it's never like, you can't cheat it. You can't mm. escape grief. You can't run away from it. 
And so those moments of like, yeah, just relief from it, I think are really, really important, mm. really important. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't feel guilty about the days. I'm just, I just feel like as a long term strategy, you, you can't just not think about the guy. But mm. yeah, but you're right. So you're, you're, you're allowed, as I say, you're allowed days off. And I, I, you know, that's the other thing when somebody dies, then other people will tell, start talking to you about, you know, their people who've, who, who have died. And, uh, yeah, and that's like there's a friend of mine whose, whose dad just died around about the same time, and yeah, he's saying the same thing. He feels guilty when when he's when he's you know when he's not feeling sad. I'm like, yeah. like you, you you can't you can't feel sad all the time. You can't you can't physically no. do it. It's like the thing I always say to you is like you can't laugh constantly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like things are funny, then they just go. And sometimes you have a really funny moment. Mm. You know, and you're like, oh, I wish that lasted longer. It was so great. Yeah. <laughs> it was so nice when we were loving. Yeah. Humans don't process emotions for a, like they come in bursts. And yeah. that's the thing, grief's the same. Like the grief comes and then it will go. And that's the only thing I say, like further down the line, like my waves of grief are now like, there's now like five years between them. Mm-hmm. But when the first year, there's five minutes. Yeah. And the waves are like, oh my God, oh my God. It's just like, you, you feel like you're being turned upside down all the time. And then as time goes on, and that's what people mean by time heals. It doesn't heal. It's not a helpful phrase, but what does happen is those moments of grief just get a bit further apart and you also get used to them. So when I feel something coming now, like a memory like that, I'm like, oh yeah, okay, here it is. This is grief, I know what it is and I'm I'm okay. But I think when you're first, that first year, you can often be like, it can knock you sideways or suddenly you're, <clears throat> you know, one minute you're fine, the next minute you're absolutely in pieces. It's a real, it's a real <clears throat> shit roller coaster. <laughs> it's, a, it's not a good one. Yeah. You don't want to be tall enough to ride it. Uh, and then I, I also, you wonder how, how long can you not use a death as an excuse? Mm, but you know, how yeah. long how long before people don't have to give you any sympathy anymore? You know what I mean? <laughs> like like I think it's only three months is still fair enough that I can say, Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah, like yeah. three months ago. People are like, Oh, you okay, you still need a you still need some some looking after it sort of thing, you know. But after like after I was like, How how long can I still go? Yeah, well, you know, I'm still dealing with the fact that my my brother my brother died. When was that? Well, it was like two years ago. And the other person would be like, "Okay, you should really be over that. Oh, <laughs> you should this be over it enough to function in society as a, without having to go? Oh, this this song or this, you know, how long can I? I'm not saying how long can I string this out for, but, you know, because I was well, aware I was wielding it like a weapon. For, like mm, I, of course, I, of course. When the day he died, I forgot to get his stuff from the hospital. Like me and my mother went in to, to you know, to, to switch yeah. him off. We then left, and I realized, oh, you know, his fucking his clothes and stuff like that. I forgot, and I, so I just went back to get them. And I would go back, uh, and I'm buzzing the thing at in the intensive care unit, and there's a, a thing on the intercom, and it says. Uh, Okay, yeah, we've been there, we've been there in a moment. We just gather stuff and go. So I sit down, and then another woman comes along, and she's buzzing. And I said to her, and she seems really impatient. And she, and I, go, I think she she worked there, but she didn't have her pass. I think that was the, the issue. And she's like buzzing, and and I go, there's somebody coming because they're coming to let me in. And she just she turns and she goes, oh, are you are you are you here to visit somebody? And I just I went, no, my brother just died, and I'm here to pick up his stuff. And she's like, and it is a fucking conversation stopper. It really is. <laughs> And then I went, and she was just like, "Oh," and and I like, and then I went, "Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean it. Sorry, I didn't mean to just put that on you." But I fucking totally did. Like I totally, <laughs> I was totally just trying well, it out for that. Club, Ed. Uh, yeah. to grief club. I was like, "Why? Well, I'm just, I just, I'm just gonna say this out loud to a stranger." And yeah, I, and yeah. I, it was, it was just a bit like, but it was, it is a. Uh, there's nothing you can say to no. my brother. Literally just died, and I'm here to get his stuff. And she's like, "Okay." After you. <laughs> you go first. It's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm actually not in that big a hurry now, I realise. Yeah. I don't know why I was buzzing. Ta- oh, my God. That is... Ugh, there's grief. Like, there's not... A, I don't think there's a, a grief... Griefster in the land, as we say, that wouldn't be like, yeah, I threw it down on the table. Yeah. I used to call it, the, like, the dead dad card. Yeah. It's like, oh, there it is. What are you going to do with that? Yeah. And when you're 15... You, oh, I imagine. You overuse it. You I overuse could it. imagine, yeah, you could, you oh, could use that. Someone's, someone's given you a, a big fat trump card and you're like, boom. And I think that's like, I also, now I'm older, I think it's shock. I think your body's in shock and you say it to people so you see their face and you see mm. them be shocked and you think, 
yeah, it's shocking, isn't it? This is weird what's happened. This is strange. But I think you almost need to shock other people. So you sort of like reflect it back and you go, oh, your face is acting like that's something really mm. awful. Mm. It is awful. Okay, that's why I feel like this. Because part of you is still going, what, 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 what? Especially as you said, you know, when, you know, someone seems like they might be okay or there's all these hope, these little doors of like, maybe, maybe, oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's totally fine. And the timeline thing you were talking about is really interesting. I mean, I'm not, I'm the wrong person to ask because 20 plus years, here I am still talking about it, (laughs) still thinking. And I think you're right. Society will not give you very long, but people who understand will give you forever. Right. Someone who's lost their brother will never say to you, "Uh, still going on about it. (laughs) They will go, yeah. Because we know to live after that person, especially when someone dies, not in the wrong order, but... You no, know, well, then, well it, it, that is a thing as well, because... Mm. And then sometimes I feel bad about that, because, I mean, losing a parent when you're young is, I'm, I'm sure, devastating. But, you know, parents are supposed to die. Like, that is, yeah. that is oh, the yeah, natural no, yeah, order yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, when, when, when somebody... It's, it's weird sometimes when somebody's trying to empathise with you and they're just trying to be nice and it's like, oh yeah, it's like you know, people who are my age, I'm at the, I'm 50, so my, you know, p- people my age, their parents are dying now. This is, they're, yeah, in fact, yeah, they're yeah. dropping like flies in my in my life, you know? <laughs> and and people are like, oh yeah, you know, you, you I hear your brother died. And I was like, yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, my dad died last year. And I, and I know they're just trying to empathise and they're just trying to be, I know, feel like, oh, yeah. yeah, he was supposed to, your dad was supposed <laughs> to die. It would be fucking weird if he didn't. You know, you know, yeah. going to your brother's funeral with your parents, that's yeah. that's worse. You're supposed yeah. to your brother's supposed to come with you to your parents funeral. You know that. And I know it's just fucking. it's just grief. It, it, it's yeah, just, it, it's grief. That's what it does. You know that and I, you're not you're not alone in feeling that. Like until I did this show, if people said anything to me about a dad dying, I'd be like, how old were they? <laughs> like, oh, they were just 60. Ah, oh, 60. Yeah. yeah, pretty, yeah. Old, pretty old. Yeah. Pretty old, aren't they? Because, yeah, my dad died at 44. That's when you said that beginning. I was okay, like, oh, right. I know that. Yeah. I know it's young. I It's fucking young. Yeah. And I have got much better. We say on the show, like, there isn't a grief here, a hierarchy. Like, you know, people, it, it's not about it's what the relationship means to you. But when you're in grief, that's not how you feel. That's mm-hmm. not how you feel. And I think especially, like, for you as a son, having to watch your parents, you know, go to your brother's funeral, that is not right it's not right it's not mm. what any of us expect and that's something um we mentioned her a lot on the show julia samuel who is an incredible bereavement psychotherapist mm. psychologist sorry julia she wrote an amazing book called grief works which i talk about all the time which i, I can't recommend enough and she says all the time like things that you didn't expect to happen mm. your brain then has to reorganize it like that's not what was I wasn't supposed to like you said me and my brothers and sisters were supposed to go to our parents funeral and it didn't happen and then your brain is like but and that's what grief is so much of that is like reorganising what life has given you Mm -hmm. and it's hard and it's painful and you want to show no no that's not what I asked for I didn't order that (laughs) I ordered something else don't give me this and it's yeah that is that is an added part of your grief and I think especially um and I've talked to other people who've lost siblings, they've described it, it's a bit of slightly invisible grief of like, you know, everyone mm. knows how to sympathise for a parent dying or loss of a child, but with siblings, everyone's like, oh, mm, well, almost slightly forgotten. It's like over here mm. in, a, in a slightly different part of the club. What I think it also has done is it, it almost slightly delays your grief because mm. you are, you're, you're focusing on your, your parents first. Yeah. You're, yeah. Kind of, you're kind of focusing on the fact that, you know, because losing a child is the worst like that's yeah. obviously the worst yeah. thing a person can go through as regards I mean I, I guess losing a parent when you're young is, is, is oh comparable. no they say losing a child but is, losing yeah. a child has yeah. got to be you know even yeah. it's um, so so I'm I'm you know you're focused on them when yeah. it's all when it's happening and then it, it it's kind of like a few weeks later you kind of go alright oh, actually you know he was my brother and I miss him you know yeah so it, I think it just delays it a little bit yeah yeah I think I think that's very true and all grief is complicated, but it's a complicated position to be in. To have that, to be worrying about your parents, like you said, and then and then finally coming to your own sadness and being mm. like, oh yeah, actually, what did this person mean to me? I think you're doing amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, I really do. Well, the next I step really is, do. next step is probably to do jokes about it. <laughs> like, to actually have it become part of the, 
the show. And that was another thing. When he when I was talking to him in the hospital, he was talking about you know working on material about it with John Hastings, who's yeah. a, a, a Canadian comic. Who's yeah. And even then, I'm like, I didn't say it. I'm like, what? Hastings is getting this shit. Hastings <laughs> is getting the. He's getting the the the. the the, the really good stuff. This is good stuff. My, it's like my 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 friend nearly because at the time because he, 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 he was worried. Maybe I'm gonna die. Yeah. Maybe I won't. But there's gonna be material in it. And and yeah, John Hastings is gonna do that. My 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 friend died or nearly died. I I, I want to do the my brother nearly died show. And I you know I was I'm since I talked to Hastings about it. Like, yeah, yeah, well you, you know you you're gonna get, you can get the stuff after you know went to the hospital you could get it i'm getting everything led up to that that's okay like, okay <laughs> let's divvy that up you know I only comedians would understand yeah. that conversation but yeah. i completely understand that conversation because it's like amongst like female comedians if anybody has a breakup the first question is like it's awful you you will get a show out of it you will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i really think you will and like it's not for consolation you're like i know what is it well it's july so i could do next edinburgh with it couldn't i yeah. like yeah. so yeah like yeah. Well, he was you, even you saying, definitely... he was saying to me, he said, like, he was talking about, one of the jokes he came out with to me is that uh, when I saw him in November in the hospital, and he's like, you know, I realised that, uh, you know, I need a liver transplant. That means somebody has to die for me to live. That's a very heavy thing for me to have to think about, that somebody, in order for me to live, somebody has to die. And then I think, well, three people probably died to make my iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> That's a funny joke. You know, and so I, I, that's but Hastings is getting that joke, but <laughs> but I am I you know I can you know I know that there's going to be elements of it. As, I, I am I know I'm going to yeah. talk about it. And and what's funny is Paul made so many people funnier by you know by helping them write their shows. It was not he never did it with me. We we did I just didn't. He worked with a lot of you know, a lot of the time. He worked with sort of maybe newer people, but he just anyway. He just it, it, there was no. We just never worked together. Right? It was not a yeah. thing he did. It's not a service I asked to do for me. But it's it will be, it could be funny. It could be that in death, if I start writing jokes about it, it becomes part of the next show. That 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 was his way of of making me funnier. Of, of you know of, by. By yielding material. <laughs> the, Do you think the you can always I... hear him being like, "Oh, now you want the material? Yeah, oh, yeah. I see. Oh, now you want oh, my okay. help. Now you want me to be involved <laughs> in, the, in the in the making of your show funnier." <laughs> and wouldn't it be ironic if then, if this is the show that becomes mine, Annette, and then and suddenly, <laughs> suddenly breaks? Uh, oh, yeah. he'd, be, he'd be pleased. He'd be proud. He'd be like, "See, that's what you needed. You needed me." <laughs> he'd be he'd be annoyed. He didn't get any money out of it. I'm sure. <laughs> I think, yeah. There's no, again, you know, that's the thing with writing comedy and making jokes of things. And I say this a lot on the show, especially, you know, I often got asked at the beginning, oh, how can you talk to comedians about something so serious? And I'd be like, if, if you look at the world in a certain way, just because someone dies doesn't mean you stop looking at the world a certain way. You yeah. know, if you can see humour in things and you see characters and pick up the way people things, the way people say things just because you're in a hospital and someone's dying doesn't stop your brain being like, that's weird, that doctor's funny, that's funny that someone said that. Like, yeah. And I think there's no harm in that. And I think it's a real, you know, a real joy that comes out of something so awful. And yeah. if you can do that, br brilliant, yeah. brilliant. Yeah. And that's why there are so many of these, you know, dead dad shows as the yeah. sort of joke used to be, because it's like, it's like so shit. Mm -hmm. It's such a shit painful thing. And if you can find any sort of, Oh yeah, a pearl in it. Then why the fuck not? And then well, and, other people and, can have some some relief yeah. from it as well. But it's also how a lot of us do deal with it. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. were straight away as a family. We were straight away like, I got in the car to drive us back home again, and my mother was in the back, but my brother sat next to me, and I got in the car and I just turned to my older brother and said, "It should have been you," you know, like <laughs> that's that's how we, you know. <laughs> So that's very good. Ed, thank you so much for talking to me about Paul. It's been a real honour to speak to somebody who is having to deal with so much at the moment. I think so many people would appreciate that you have chosen to be so brave and talk about it, honestly. Well, I've enjoyed it. I've, I've found it very helpful. So I, I appreciate I'm it. Glad. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing, bringing yourself and Paul today. I really appreciate it. Cheers.
You can find more information about Ed and all his live gigs and where he's doing his amazing comedy if you head to edburn.com. That's E-D-B-Y-R-N-E.com. He's also on Twitter at Mr. Ed Byrne, spelled the same. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was recorded remotely. It was edited by Kate Holland, music by The Glue Ensemble, artwork by Jade Perkin. And remember... Even though this is the last episode of the series, we'll be back in the autumn and you are not alone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. Mm. 